Amen. You may be seated and welcome. It's great to see you today. I'm going to encourage you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you so you can follow along. And uh, because all we care about is what God has to say, and this is God's Word, and I believe He has a Word for us today. And I, I just have to say it would behoove me not to say something about what we just saw with our children. I loved it. It was great. Didn't you love it? I mean, it's great. And I, I so much appreciate our children's ministry, um, uh, not just Olivia Simpson who leads it, but all the different volunteers that work in that children's ministry to make sure that your, your children are hearing the Word of God, they're, they're growing, they're being loved on, and uh, you know, we, just, we feel that children's ministry is so important. In fact, uh, to that end, what we're doing is... Uh, Got kind of an exciting announcement is over these next couple days or these next couple weeks, we're going to be making some changes out here. That beautiful modular building that we have is going away. And uh, we're excited about that. We're going we're gonna to fill it in with some dirt and some rock and gravel. We're going to uh, actually, um, our prayer is that one day we would build a two-story children's building there with some great classrooms. And that's, that's what we're praying for right now, but also we're going to have a, a, a roll-up glass garage door in the fellowship hall going out into the, to the uh, playground area. We're going to expand some of the sh- uh, covering out there, the shade cell covering. We're going to put misters out there because from what I understand, it gets hot around here in the summer. And so we want to make sure, as, I don't know if you've seen it after church, but I mean, the kids love it out there and we just want them to continue to be able to play out there. And, and so we're, we're doing all this. We've had a couple families that have stepped up and that are helping get that done, and maybe there's some of you that would feel led to, to help us with that above and beyond your regular giving. So thank you in advance, and I think it's just going to be great. Uh, we're really looking forward to that, and this next week, that monstrosity will be gone. All right. Well, if you didn't know it, you probably should. I'm a weather geek. I, l- I love watching weather. In fact, I'd have been happier if I had studied meteorology in college versus economics and political science. Because really, I'm not using my economics and political science degree too much anyway. But the fact is, I love weather. In fact, when we lived in Dallas, that was a pretty exciting time in my life because the weather's always changing. And I had double Doppler on my phone so I could watch as, as warm fronts would clash with cold fronts. And you'd have this, you know, this turbulent uh, air masses that would cause all kinds of, well, actually turbulence in the air and... and you know, I've got to be careful because uh, there's times, and we've actually even seen it this last week in Alabama and other places where sometimes they can turn violent. But uh, it's been amazing just for me to watch weather, and moving to Phoenix was really not a bonus. It's pretty boring here, right? So it's good for me to be able to watch the news and watch the weather channel. But over these last couple of years, we've seen 100-year floods, we've seen 500-year floods, and, and, and really that's... That's not great because what happens is you see rivers overflowing their banks. And when you see rivers overflowing their banks, not only is that that can be positive, but it can be really negative. Because what can happen positively is it fertilizes the land around it where that water has gone. And so often we've built in places that maybe we shouldn't have built that were floodplains. But... uh, but on the negative side, that water can come into your homes, can come into your business, and into fields that you don't want it to go into. Well, when you read John chapter 15, John 15 is a picture of overflow. It's a picture of God's love overflowing 
into his people. It's a, it's a rushing of his love into his people. And the fact is, as it flows into one another, it then flows into the surrounding world. And so my big idea for today is this, and it's on the screen. The love of Christ in you will overflow out of you and impact others around you. The love of Christ in you. It's going to overflow out of you. And it's going to impact those around you. Now, John chapter 15 is all about relationships. In fact, we started John 15 last week. And John 15 verse 1 through 11 is about the branches and the vine. We talked about that last week. In fact, if you look at John chapter 15 verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So we saw last week that, that, that Jesus is the vine, that God, is the, God the Father is the vine dresser, and that we are the branches. And the way we produce fruit is not trying to produce fruit. In fact, there's only, we talked about the fact that there's only one command in those first 11 verses, and that is to abide. Verse 4, abide in me, Jesus said. See, the way... If we are abiding in the vine, if we're vitally connected to the vine of Jesus, we are going to produce spiritual fruit. Because the life and the sap and, and, the, and the nutrients of that vine are going to press out through us. And all of a sudden, we are going to be producing fruit, spiritual fruit. We talked about that. And when we produce spiritual fruit, verse 8 says, we prove to be his disciples. If you're vitally connected to the vine of Jesus, the outflow, the production, then becomes fruit. Now, can we produce fruit if we're not connected to the vine? No. In fact, John chapter 5, the end of it, John chapter 15, at the end of verse 5, it says, For apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 6 says, If anyone does not abide in me, he's, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. So the fact is, we understand the importance of being Vitally connected to the vine. See, your love for Jesus, your abiding in Jesus, overflows in spiritual fruit. But secondly, the second overflow of love is this. Your love for Jesus overflows in love for one another. Now, Eight times in verses 9 through 17, you see the word love. When you see a repeated word, it gives you an indication of what this section is about. And it's all about love. Jesus is trying to get across the importance of love. This whole section is all about love. His love overflowing in us for one another. In fact, look at verse 9 again. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, you may be, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And that word full is overflowing. But then he says this in verse 12. And it's the second time this, is, this, is, this, this, uh, this statement is used in John chapter 15. Or in John. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the idea of the branches 
having the love of Christ overflowing in them so they overflow in love for one another. As a result of abiding in the vine, of loving Jesus, your response should be an overflow of loving one another. Now, how do I know if I'm abiding in the vine? His love in me overflows in how I treat others around me. Now, I got to tell you, sometimes this is really easy and sometimes it's not. In fact, this is one of the 36 unique one another commands in the Bible. Christianity is all about community. In fact, as if we're not in community, it's tough to love one another. And you might be thinking, well, then I don't have to. But that's the point is we are supposed to love one another. But notice the standard of love in verse 12. That you love one another how? He says, as I have loved you. Now, how has Jesus loved us? How has he loved us? He's loved us unconditionally. He's loved us sacrificially. He's loved us intentionally. He's loved us willingly. And so as Jesus has loved us in those ways, guess what? We're supposed to love one another. Easy, right? In fact, probably impossible apart from the empowering of the Holy Spirit in us. See, if we try to do this in our own strength, in our own power, it's going to be really tough. But it's when we allow the Holy Spirit to be in us, to be working through us, we then produce spiritual fruit. And the first of the nine fruits of the Spirit is what? Love. In fact, let me put up Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you're abiding in the vine, you will produce the fruit of love. Now, we've talked about this. Love is not a feeling. The word here is agape love. It's an unconditional love. Love is a verb. It's something that you do. It's not about something you feel. I just don't feel like loving Pam this week. Wrong. That's not what you're called to do. You're called to love her unconditionally. To pour your heart. (laughs) Todd, you are called to pour into your wife to love her unconditionally, sacrificially, willfully. She's right. The fact is, It's something that we do, whether we feel like it or not. That's biblical love. That's the kind of love we're called to love one another with. And the fact is, if you're abiding in the vine, you will produce the fruit of love. And it should start at home. Sometimes the most difficult place, but the most important place. In fact, I would say this. Pam and I got saved in a church in, in Dallas, big church. The worship center was a little bit bigger than this. It's seven, it sat 7,000 people, okay? And, and, and we went, I went on staff there, and, and, and my pastor used to say, you know, people would say, how many, how many ministers do you have on staff? And he'd say, I don't know, maybe 25,000. 
every member a minister. See, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're called to minister. It's, it's to serve one another. It's, as a minister is a servant. And, and if we have the love of Jesus in us flowing out through us, then the fact is it takes a, actually it takes a lot of pressure off of me and David. Because it doesn't put all the requirements of ministering to one another just on us, but everybody is ministering to one another. And we're starting to see that in so many different ways in our church, and we love that. We love that. The fact is, if you get the vertical right, the horizontal will get right. Meaning, if I want to be right with you, I better get right with the Lord. If I'm not right with you, then I have a problem with the Lord. I'm not right with the Lord. And that's, that could be pretty convicting. I can't be, I can't be in a right place with the Lord and not loving my wife. It just, it doesn't work that way. If you have issues with the horizontal, then you have issues with the vertical. Now we get to verse 13. And this is one of the most dramatic verses in the Bible when you step back and really comprehend this. Jesus says this, after he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In a matter of hours, Jesus would be arrested. He'd be falsely tried. He'd be beaten. And then he would lay down on a sinner's cross be nailed to that cross and be lifted up, crucified. His life for ours. He would do it sacrificially. He would do it for you and he would do it for me. He laid down his life. He was, he was willing to take the wrath of the Father for our sins so that we didn't have to. That's the gospel. In fact, in fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might receive the righteousness of God. And in that moment when Jesus took upon, the, took upon himself the wrath that we deserve to take, God placed the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ on us. It was imputed to our account. So we talked about it in our small group the other day. It's, 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 the great, it's the great exchange. That's what Martin Luther called it. And the fact is, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his, his life for his friends. Jesus was getting ready in a matter of hours to lay down his life for us. In fact, Good Friday, that's what we're going to be commemorating. There will be a solemn night. It will not be a celebratory night. That's when Jesus died. He died in our place. He died a sinner's death. But that's why we look forward to Sunday. Because Sunday is when we celebrate, right? Notice this. In fact, look at 1 John 3.16. I love this verse. 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid his life down for us. But then this. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers or the brothers and sisters, for other believers. See, this is, this is the love of Jesus Christ in us overflowing into one another. See, our love for one another should be sacrificial. It, sh it should be unconditional, without condition. It should be willful. 
Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. But then in verse 14, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So we don't have to worry about who his friends are. He is speaking to his disciples, those that have turned from their sin and turned to Jesus Christ uh, for eternal life. That's what it's all about here. In fact, let that truth sink in. You are my friends. And he says, I'm going to die for you. I've said it many times here. Jesus died for you. My prayer is every time you come to hope, you hear that. You're reminded of that truth. Because that should change how you think about the Lord. It should change your love for the Lord. Realize he didn't lay down his life for you because of any inherent goodness, inherent, inherent goodness in you. But it's all because of his goodness. It was an act of grace. What's grace? Deserving, I mean, receiving what we don't deserve. He died in your place and he gave you mercy. That's not re receiving what we do deserve. The fact is, Jesus died so you don't have to. Jesus died so you could have eternal life. In fact, listen to what, what Romans chapter 5, verse 7 and 8 says. I'll put it on the screen. Romans 5, 7 and 8. And maybe I need to read it from here. Or maybe I didn't put it up there. I've a couple times I've done that. All right, let me just read it for you. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Who would die for an unrighteous person? But would you die even for a righteous person? But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, we didn't get all cleaned up so he could die. He died to clean us up. And that's the beauty of our Lord. Now, we don't become friends with Jesus by keeping his commands, but we demonstrate our love for him by keeping his commands. And I think that's so important for us to understand. The fact is, he's not just our savior, but he's our Lord. Look at verse 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have he heard from my father, I have made known to you. What's he talking about there? What he's saying is like, if you're a slave or a bond servant, he might tell you to dig a hole. But he's not going to tell you why. And he doesn't have to tell you why. But if he's your friend, he's saying, listen, I'd like you to dig this hole because we're going to plant this beautiful tree. And as a friend, he's going he's to tell you everything that the father has told him he's going to tell you. And that's what he's done. So that's why he calls us friends. Listen, if you are in Christ, he is your friend. And greater love has no one than this, than, than he would die, uh, lay down his life for his friends. See, this is all about relationship. When you read this, you, you can't help but see that Christianity is not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with Jesus. That's so, it so fills you up that it overflows in how you treat one another. In fact, both Abraham and Moses were called friends of Jesus. Or friends of God. Listen to what J. Oswald Sanders says, and I love this. This to me is, like, you got to sit in this for a minute. Each of us is as close to Jesus as we choose to be. 
How close are you to Jesus? How much time do you spend with him? Listening to him. Hearing his heart. Each of us is as close to Jesus as we choose to be. And Jesus is saying, like, these disciples had just spent three years with him. They were close to Jesus. Why? Because they spent time with him. And then he says this, just in case you get a big head. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should, should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. He's saying, listen, I chose you, but I didn't just choose you so you could go to heaven. I chose you, what? So you could go and bear fruit. So you could be an impact for those around you. That's what, second, or, uh, that's what Ephesians 2.10 says. That we're not, we're, we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved unto good works. See, the minute we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, our life has changed. See, because now we are filling up with the love of Jesus Christ, and it should be overflowing into those around us. And some of you, I mean, that's, that describes who you are. But some of you maybe have not gotten out of your own way and not have really surrendered your life. In fact, Luke 9, 23 says, Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We change from the inside out. Fruit impacts how we interact with one another. I said this, I think it was in the last message. Think of a group of people abiding in the vine and bearing fruit that overflows into one another. I mean, think about being surrounded by people that are loving and joyful and peaceful and, 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 and those that are patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and show self-control. How many of you would love to be surrounded by people like that? I would. Okay, now don't raise your hand. And I'm saying it again, don't raise your hand. In fact, don't look to your right or your left. Keep your eyes right on me. How many of you would love your spouse to be like that? Or your children to be like that? Or how many of you would like your parents to be like that? And how many of your spouses are thinking, I wish my spouse was like that? The fact is, why don't we just be like that? Lord, let that be me. Let me be somebody that is so filled with the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit that I'm oozing love, and I'm oozing joy, and I'm oozing peace and patience to those around me. Now you get to the end of this section, and once again, Jesus says, these things I command you, verse 17, so that you will love one another. It's the third time he says that, that you love one another. That you love one another. See, when the love of Christ is in you, it overflows into love for one another. That brings us now to the third overflow of love. The third overflow of love. And your love for Jesus overflows and is hated by the world. This is a switch. It's hated by the world. Now, before we look at verses 18 through 27, I want to drop down to chapter 16, verse 1. And notice what Jesus says. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. 
And that word falling away, it means, it means from stumbling. I've just told you all of this because I don't want you to fall away when it happens. So something's going to happen in verses 18 through 25 that's going to rock us. In fact, he tells us in verse 2 of 16, he says, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. There will be people. And they were talking about the first century Jews that would be kicked out of the synagogues. And, and that would be a de- pretty devastating thing. But there will be people that will kill you. And they're thinking they're doing a service to God. Now, does that remind us of anybody in the Bible? Yeah, Saul of Tarsus. Like he was on his way to Damascus. Why will they do that? Verse 3. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. But I've said these things to you, verse 4, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. And this is what I love about Jesus. He's forewarning us that when we allow the love of Christ to work in us and overflow through us, that there are going to be some that will not be excited about it. I'll never forget when Pam and I got saved. We had some friends. We thought they were friends. That they just, one day they said to us, you're just not fun anymore. And I've said, well, we just didn't get drunk with them anymore. And, and, and so, I mean, our lives have changed. And the fact is, we thought we were fun. I mean, I thought, I, I think you're fun. You know, I know you don't think I'm always that much fun. I'm a little bit too serious, but I'm working on it. Some of you guys got to work on being a little bit more fun. Right, ladies? All right. But notice, remember, this last section, we saw the word love eight different times. But now we see a new key word. Maybe you can pick it up, verse 18, chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Anybody sense what that word is? It's hate. So eight times you get the word love, and now eight times you get the word hate. There's a dramatic contrast here. And I think Jesus is trying to make that pretty clear. There are going to be those that are not going to be excited about your faith. You're going to be really excited about your faith, but they're not going to be excited about your faith. And so he he forewarns us. Now, what does it mean, the world? He says, if the world hates you, well, those are people that are associated with the ever-changing culture, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the age, the secular world, those who are estranged from God, those who are in rebellion to God. they're, They're involved in a world system that's dominated by Satan and his schemes. Before Christ, that was me. Like, I did not like Christians. Forgive me. But I just, I just thought they were holier than thou. I, I, I thought they were, I, th- I thought they just were weak and they, 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 they used Jesus as a crutch. And I realized that I needed that crutch more than them. I was just blinded to it. There are those who are citizens of heaven because Jesus chose them out of the world and there are those who are citizens of the world and they're not going to be excited about the change in your life. In fact, that's why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3:12. He 
He says, all who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. In fact, in the Beatitudes, at the end of the Beatitudes, Jesus says in, 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 uh, in Mark cha- or Matthew chapter 14, I, I just marked it this morning, he says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There will be those as the love of Christ overflows out of you that will not be as excited about what you're going through. The reality is, the world may hate you, but know this, God loves you. Don't ever forget that. God loves you. How much does he love you? John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. He loves us so much that he was willing to send his his son to die on the cross in our place. He created you. You are perfectly and wonderfully made. He has a plan for you. His son died for you so you could have eternal life. The world may hate you, but that is nothing in comparison to God loving you. Have that perspective because that will help you walk out knowing that you don't have to hold your head down, but you can hold your head up. I'm in Christ. I'm loved. If you were the world, you wouldn't be going to heaven. The world, the world would love you. Look at verse 19 again. He says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Look at verse 20. He says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. There will be those that receive Christ and there will be those that don't. But all these things, verse 21, they will do on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know Jesus. They don't know God because they don't know me. They don't know Jesus. But all these things they will do to you on account of me because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Come back to that. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and the father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Now, if you look at verse 22 and 24, it says, if they had not done these works, or if I had not spoken this word to them, or if I had not done these works, then they would not be guilty of sin. Is he saying that, that we just then aren't guilty of sin? No, that's not what he's saying. He was saying we would not be guilty of the sin of rejecting the revelation of himself to his people. How did he reveal himself to us? He revealed himself to us through his word, and he revealed himself to us through his works. So that's what Jesus is saying. He says, listen, I've revealed themselves through my word. I've revealed themselves uh, through my uh, works. They've still rejected me. Why did they reject him? The reason is, He threatened their position. He threatened their power. Something that people don't want to give up.
because they've rejected his word and because they've rejected his works, they're without excuse. That's what he's saying. In fact, it reminds us of Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, where Jesus says, like, I showed them my glory. In fact, let's put that up. Romans chapter 1. For what could be known about God is plain to them. All they have to do is look around. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God, is, in his grace, has revealed himself through nature, through creation, through his word, through his works. And so for those that reject him, they are without excuse. And then he says this in verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And what Jesus is doing there is he's quoting Psalm chapter 35, verse 19 and 69, verse 4. He's saying the hatred by the world towards believers can be for no rational reason. There's no real cause. It's just because of the hardness of their hearts. And I read that and I think that was me. And that's all of us before Christ. And the fact is, when we stand for truth, when we stand for what's right, we can become lightning rods for those who feel threatened by our lives. Let me give you five lightning rods. And I could have put a lot, I mean, we could have done a whole message on lightning rods. But lightning rods that the world wants to destroy. How about marriage? When we say that marriage is between a man and a woman, very clearly in Scripture, we become a lightning rod for the world. And I'm telling you, it's not going to get easier. It's only going to get harder when we stand for truth. Here's another lightning rod. Abortion. Every life is valuable to God. God has created us in fact, one of the saddest statements I ever heard is the most dangerous place for a baby in this world is in the womb of a mother. Over 60 million babies just in the United States have been killed since Roe v. Wade was passed. You've got the lightning rod of marriage, the lightning rod of abortion. How about the lightning rod of gender? Now, I would have not said this three years ago. God determines our gender. Say that on social media. Or not. But the fact is that we become a lightning rod. Jesus is saying, the world's going to hate you because of me. Because we're standing on his truth. How about the lightning rod of exclusivity? When we say that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Jesus told us that in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That blows out universalism. We, you could just be a nice person. You could just be a sincere person. How about the lightning rod of the Bible? That God's word is inerrant. It's authoritative. It's sufficient for every area of life. Can you think of other lightning rods? But you can. So, with that, how do we interact with a world 
that is opposed to us. I think this is what's important. How do we interact with a world that is opposed to us as believers? Well, let me give you five. First of all, respond in love. Respond in love and kindness. Again, this is where we're going to need to walk. We need to walk in the spirit. Like I got a family member right now that that this this is preaching to me right now. Respond in love and kindness. It's the importance of abiding in the vine so that the fruit that I'm bearing is love and joy and peace and oh, patience, come to me. Second, remember, remember that unbelievers act like unbelievers. Got to remember that. The Bible tells us that in the new covenant, our hearts of stone will be exchanged with hearts of flesh. And again, it, I don't have to think too far back to think that that was me 22 years ago. Respond, remember, serve. Serve them. Serve them. <laughs> like, okay, now I'm getting into your stuff. Okay, serve them. It's one of the highest forms of love other than laying down your life for them. Serve them. Read Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. Pray for them. It changes your attitude when you pray for them. And then fifth, give them what they need the most. Jesus. Give them what they need the most. That's just one of the reasons we created these cards. And, and what I don't want us doing as a church is throwing them on, you know, every doorstep, every car. Like, pick one or two people that you care about that need to hear the truth of Jesus. And, and bring them with you for Easter. There's Pam and I. I mean, Christmas and Easter are the times where people are most open to being invited to church. First time Pam and I ever came to church, we were invited to a Christmas Eve service. And you've heard my story. I didn't want to be there. But God used it. All right. At this point, Jesus must have been looking in the faces of the disciples. And, and I mean, he's talking about how the world's going to hate them. And, and so he just releases the pressure valve a little bit. And he says in verse 26, he says, but, the helper, but when the helper comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He's saying, listen, you're not required to do this on your own. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And the Holy Spirit comes at the moment you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. He will come and he will help you proclaim the gospel. He will... He will, he will bear witness, so you will also bear witness. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up here. And I want to just share this. Listen, when you, when you spend time with Jesus, truly spend time with Jesus, Like, spend time with Jesus until you're really spending time with Jesus. Like, I could be at home spending time with Pam and not really spending time with Pam. I'm just there, but I'm not there, if you know what I mean. 
Spend time with Jesus so that the love of Christ overflows in you so you bear fruit. But not only do you bear fruit, but it causes you to love and to, to, to care for others around you. And yes, it may impact those who are unbelievers. But know this, there may be unbelievers out there like me and like Pam 22 years ago that desperately needed to hear about the love of Christ. Jesus says, listen, the love of Christ in you, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, the love of Christ in you will overflow out of you and will impact those around you. 